Hey, we talk about learning all the time, but do we talk about how we learn? We thought that might be an interesting topic. And it would also be fun to bring in my son. So Harrison Gerard is here with us to talk about how he has learned some stuff on the Learning Geeks podcast, which starts right now. You should, you should clarify that I'm your son from your first marriage. <laughs> Technically, that is true. <laughs> his, okay. his first and only, his first and only, folks. Yeah, totally. yeah, definitely the last marriage. We we just had that conversation the other day. Like, honey, you know what? If if anything ever happened to you, I would never get remarried. I would just be single the rest of my life. She said the same thing, so it was kind of. <laughs> That's very Touching sweet. In a heartwarming yeah, that's very romantic. Way, in a heartwarming way. Harrison, though, is my is my eldest son. We had my uh, junior son, Jackson, on a little while ago, you might remember. We do need to um, start having Dana's and Jake's children come on this podcast. <laughs> no. Oh, God. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that would be so productive with mine. <laughs> they would get bored with that after about two minutes. Jake's daughters, of course, being much younger than the adults that Dana and I have both raised. So, and my yeah. daughters would have all kinds of things to say about learning because they've all been through the systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So, uh, but Harrison, we're glad you're here. Let Let me go ahead and set this up because um, Harrison has a great story about learning a new skill, uh, which I have been <laughs> getting a lot of mileage on at work i've been telling it and retelling it as we start thinking about concepts like work learn fusion learning in the flow of work um a little more cynically for us old fogies you know how are kids these days learning things and spoiler alert it's probably different than the way we learned things and it's also probably different than the way we program things and create learning experiences as learning professionals. So um, we thought, let's have Harrison on here and he'll share that story and we'll dialogue about it. And then we'll talk about some of our you know, recent or past experiences and how we have learned things and see where that conversation goes. So that's the plan um, for today. That sounds great, Bob. I could probably tell the story. I've heard you tell it so many times, but I'm anxious to hear. <laughs> I'm anxious to hear Harrison's version of it because uh, it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see how much you've embellished it along the way. I probably have, you know, I'm not above that, but um, yeah, that's pretty funny. So you know, I'm I'm gonna sit here. I'm not gonna interject at all. I'm gonna let Harrison <laughs> tell the story. But I you know, actually, that. that's terrifying. You know, yeah, what, Harrison. No, but but before ahead. you jump into the story, give us a little bit of introduction in terms of of like what you do for a living, and that's good context for this story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to school for graphic design at Portland State, and then I graduated uh, to go work for a company called Fulbright, uh, which is an indie game studio, uh, and we're most well known for the game Gone Home, which was kind of like an indie darling, maybe about oh, close to 10 years ago now. Uh, and then they did a game called Tacoma, and now we're working on a new game called Open Roads. Uh, but what I do there is um, it's a kind of game like Mist, if you've ever played that, where you, you walk around and you're like picking stuff up. Um, and that's what I do. I make all the stuff that you pick up. 
So if there's like a letter in a game or an old postcard or like a box of cereal, anything that requires graphic design, um, it was lovingly created and copywritten um, for the most part by by me. Um, so yeah, that's that's the Reader's Digest version. Jake's thinking it would be great to have a, a game where he could teach his kids to pick stuff up. Maybe, <laughs> Jake, Jake, maybe you'd play that with them and say, hey, here's an look at your clothes. I would love that. And, and Harrison, I got to ask though, since before the show, we were talking about cereal and cereal boxes. And so what would be your, what, what is a game version of Lucky Charms or some type of Easter oh egg God. that you've done we, or created? We just, totally. We just did. So the game is, um, there's like a mother and a daughter and it's set in 2003. Uh, and we did this like a year ago, the cereal. So I was like, well, we need to have like a fun cereal for the daughter and then like a mom cereal. <laughs> For the mom. <laughs> so I did like like a special K honey bunches of oats kind of thing for the mom. And it has like a girl like jogging on the front and like a recipe for like a fruit parfait on the back. And then the daughter's one was called Tropical Hippos because that was a tie back <laughs> from an older game. And it, had, it was like pirate themed. It was very fun. I'll have to find oh, some pictures cool. and, and send it. By the way, uh, Learning Geeks fans, you have seen Harrison's artwork before because Harrison did our logo and the little cartoon oh, yeah. of ours and, mm-hmm. you know, way back in the day. So you've seen that. Years ago now. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to do a new one. I was just thinking about that. I was like, we need to, I don't know, next season, do a refresh. So uh, we're... Why Harrison, did we have tell Harrison? us your learning story? Yeah, why do we have yeah. Harrison on? <laughs> yeah, what am I? What am I talking about? Yeah, um, I guess um, my learning story, right, is about learning 3D. Yeah, is that right? Exactly. Unless there's, yep. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Actually, I wanted you to talk about something else. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess the long and short of it is exactly that. Uh, you know, at work, I work with some really incredibly talented um, 3D uh, artists who build out all the little uh, <laughs> props and stuff in the game and, and chairs and tables and things like that. Um, and it was always something that had kind of interested me. And I was like, going forward in this industry, it would probably be a really good thing to learn. Or at least, I think in the beginning I was like, I, I want to know at least enough that I can be designing things in a way that is more effective for um, the 3D people uh actually deploying my designs um so it kind of started from there and and harrison i i am gonna i am gonna jump in a little bit just to make sure that yeah, everybody please. gets this so i i think a good analogy is if you think of the 2d art that harrison is used to of being like a painting or a photograph in a game when you're designing a game most games now have 3d art so instead of being like painting it's like sculpting right like you have to to build the object using a 3D modeling tool. And so Harrison has worked before, we kind of do the painting and the skin of it and give it to the people and they would apply it to the sculpture. But he wanted to learn how to actually do the sculpture himself. Yeah, um, I think my process was, uh, you know, just like, so so 3D in and of itself is just like a really uh, broad and wide field. Um, and there's a lot. It's I think it's almost like doing ceramics where it's like that sounds very like you do ceramics on the surface. But there's so many pockets of like maybe you're a person who just paints it. Maybe you're are only interested in firing it or making the glazes. There's just like a million little things. So it's hard to like know where to get started. Um, but 
I knew I wanted to use a software called Blender because it's free, um, which is a nice change from every other 3D software, which costs like a million dollars if you're not in college. So uh, yeah, so starting from there, um, I went to, to YouTube, um, which I think is, you know, the, the educator of my generation. Um, and I just started doing tutorials Uh you should be telling the story because it's a narrative that you've obviously crafted. For me, it's it's my lived experience. No, but you're I'm doing like, it. You're know. doing it exactly right on, right? <laughs> you know it, what? What I would add to it so far is when we first started talking about you learning 3D, mm. I legitimately had the idea in my head. I was like, "How would I do this?" And as you said, you live in Portland. You are a graduate of Portland State University. I thought, "Oh, Harrison's just going to go back to Portland State and do like a continuing education class in 3D." Right. Like that's where he's going to go to school and take a class. But I don't think that that ever crossed your mind. No, I don't think we I think Portland State now offers a 3D uh, class like as of this term. Um, But it also wasn't the kind of thing that I was interested in. It was more graphic design leaning. Harrison, a question for you. So as you're starting to develop the skill, how did you know that you were on the right track? How did you know that you were developing quality stuff and, you know, and actually growing that skill? It's kind of two parts. Uh, the first half was I had done like basically like a YouTube boot camp kind of um, course over like it was like 10 days, but it took me longer. Um, and that set like a good foundational groundwork. Uh, but in terms of judging for myself, I think that's a really hard part of doing any art. And I think especially for people who are beginning artists have a really hard time telling if they're doing a good job uh, and they have a hard time identifying like what they're they're struggling with visually. Um, and since I came from an art background and I have like a little bit of experience with like photography and, and I've done illustration and stuff like that, I think I have a good foundational level of like basic art kind of skills like composition and stuff like that, that helped me um, kind of go far fast. But it, there is always that kind of balance of like the raw technical skills with the more soft like art skills. So have you presented any of your work to colleagues or, you know, a network to kind of, you know, see if they think it's great or if they puke on it or, I mean, have you, yeah, just kind of curious totally. about that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have. Um, I still, I'm very involved um, with the Portland State graphic design program. I, I live in town um, and I know a lot of uh, them still. Uh, and that's been a really great network for um showing this kind of stuff and, and getting their feedback. I have a lot of artists that I really trust and, and value um, their opinion. And like my best friend, Shay is a really talented graphic designer. So everything I do, I like show to her first. And she's like, you need to do this better. So, the, so they do give you critical <laughs> feedback. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're always, you've got to. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Harrison, like what, what I'm thinking of, so I'm, I'm obviously broadcasting the way I tell this narrative is, is you put all your stuff up on your Insta account, on your Instagram totally. account. Yeah. And and what I saw happen there from, because everybody should follow Harrison's Instagram account, um, which is what? H underscore? Um, H underscore S underscore Gerard. Yeah. It's very amusing uh, in many oh ways. God. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> but you, you threw it out there and you started putting this out there. And there, there were two things that I saw happening was one, 
your friends and or people like me who you know are, are uneducated about visual art but know what we like gave you a lot of positive affirmation. Like, this looks great. This is great, which I think was super helpful for your psyche as you were learning this stuff. Totally. But then you also had some of the followers of your Instagram account who are professionals in the field, right? And I remember seeing comments of, you should try using that shader. You should do this a little bit differently and giving you some good constructive criticism. And that was really helpful to help you grow. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have um, that kind of, I think, you know, social media is such a double edged sword in that way where it can be really validating to um, get (laughs) validation from people, but it also can be like really crippling. Like I had tried um, to do like YouTube videos about graphic design and they just, it's hard to get started and um, it made it hard to keep going. Yeah, because that's what, that was the concern I had of of <clears throat> posting out, uh, you know, to a social media site or platform and then getting feedback that hopefully can be, you know, either it's critical feedback or like constructive feedback, I should say, constructive feedback, but then there's also the extreme negative side. So yeah. in dealing with that and... I mean, in your case, do you feel like it's more constructive or is it sometimes border on even that one as well? And how, how, how like, how do, have you managed that? Because I feel like that would be, it, it's it's inspiring to get the, the positive. It's great to get constructive, but at the same time, you're getting feedback from people you didn't ask for feedback for. Yeah, I think that that's so hard on the internet. And I think any anyone who has posted stuff on the internet has, has kind of experienced that before. I think the biggest thing is, um, to be selective about who you're listening to feedback from. Cause, cause anyone can go on the internet and say, you know, I don't like this. I do like that. Um, which is like, okay, you know, <laughs> you're, you're welcome to your own opinion. I try to, I have people who I really value their, their sense of design, um, in 3d or graphic design or, or whatever. And those are the people that I want feedback from and I value their feedback and, and take it to heart. Um, but for just random people on the internet, um, you know, they're random people. Most, most people, most people have no, no sense of design. Most people aren't funny either. And so, yeah, you got <laughs> got it. You got to be selective on, on who you're listening to. So parsing this out, you know, the, the process that I saw you go through was it, you had a specific need, right? You, you needed to learn 3D modeling for your job. Uh, the first place that you went was YouTube, right? So, so you Googled it, essentially. Totally. And the content that came back in the Google search was in the video form, which I think is something we should really pay attention to because uh, I, I can't quote any specific research, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure that's what most people are gravitating to these days is watching the short form YouTube videos or TikTok videos that will give you a little bit of a tutorial. You were able to practice it, so you just took what you learned, you practice it, you put it out there and got feedback and you use the feedback to help you grow and kind of rinse cycle repeat uh, to the yeah. point where, you know, now I think the 3D artist is is in your portfolio or should be because you definitely have that skill. All right. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. And, and something that you made me think of saying that, and I think is really interesting from a learning perspective is I found with something like 3D, um, and especially with like Blender, which as a software is open source uh, and there's a lot of like community learning around it. Um, 
it's I feel like you end up doing this kind of thing where you learn like a kind of base camp level uh, or boot camp, sorry, of of like a baseline skill, uh, and then you then it becomes once you know the the foundation, you can be like, well, how do I like how do I make a glass shader? And then you look up more specific things um, and tutorials around that. And that's what like when people ask me about doing three D, that's what. I tell them like once once you learn that kind of initial learning curve, you can get to a a place where then it's like any specific thing you want to know, you at least know like the verbiage and you know kind of how to how to put it together. But I think um, from a learning perspective, it would be really interesting to try and and develop a platform from that um, sort of approach of of a baseline and then extrapolate yeah. outwards. Well, we're seeing the five moments of need right there, right? Dana, it's like, you know, you've got the, the baseline is the moment of new. And then you're talking about the moment of more when you need to learn more to build on top right. of that and mm -hmm. what the strategy is. Yeah. So Jake and Dana, what are, what are other examples of ways that you've learned things recently or historically that, you know, compare and contrast with Harrison's experience here? Well, I've, I've been thinking, uh, you may have heard a little cute little baby in the background, right? Little, our little <laughs> Chloe is visiting. Um, so I've been reflecting on and observing how she's learning and she's approaching two years old and, you know, there's things like she's in the process of developing language and that requires lots of repetition and lots of reinforcement and there's lots of imperfect but adequate pronunciation, right? I mean, we, as, as parents and grandparents, we, we listen and we tolerate if it's not quite right and we reinforce that. Oh, that's so cute. Right. And, um, and there's lots of pointing to things, right. When trying to formulate words and there's lots of frustration. Um, but then there's also lots of praises. You get things right. So I think, I think one of the things I take away from that kind of observation is that I think a lot of times learning can be really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're learning. Right. And it requires repetition and reinforcement and correction and sometimes lots of pointing i'm talking about this um so but but you know we talk about how learning is hard and i think it, it, we also sometimes joke about the skill pill right i wish i just had a pill i could take and all the i'd automatically have the skill that's not the reality because required uh learning is um, it's required to be effortful in order to make it stick. And, and it goes, you have to go through all those things, right? The repetition reinforcement. So anyway, just a couple of refle yeah. uh, reflections. The other thing is that there's so many things that we have all learned without a curriculum, right? Yeah. I mean, Harrison's example is, is a perfect one, right? There, there was no predefined way. He just kind of said, okay, I, I think if I do the YouTube videos and then I post stuff, um, I, I mean, think about riding a bike, right? Is there a curriculum for riding a bike? Not really, right? You don't sit down and read a manual. You just get on a trike and then you get training wheels and then the training wheels go away. You fall over. It's frustrating. But um, so there's a lot of things we learn without curriculum. Yeah, I, I, I was starting to write down a list of all the things I have learned because sometimes I have to think about what, what, did, <laughs> what have I learned in the last X amount of years. And, you know, it's it's pretty crazy when you stop and think. And I just started writing down like I have... Uh, you know, four or five years ago, I remember trying to build a PC. I haven't done it in so long, I forgot how to. So I had to relearn how to do that. There's always constant home repair and things like that. There's, 
managing emotions in children, especially as they age and they change constantly. So then trying to figure out that plus at the same time, utilizing, put it into practice, trying it, getting feedback. The feedback loop is actually from the child. And like, what are they, what are they experiencing if you try to do this technique and then, you know, learn and apply it. And then I think of things at work uh, from creative storytelling to even um, uh, almost like a creative leadership approach too, and then trying different tactics. And, And so I think when I think of all these different things, I approach it differently depending on the type of either skill that I am trying to learn. And so like the PC building, for example, that one for sure, I mean, I didn't do anything other than watch YouTube. Right. Like that was my source. Mm-hmm. I looked everywhere there. Um, I hardly read anything. Everything was visual because I wanted to see how they're doing it. I wanted to hear what they're thinking as they're they're building something and putting it together. I want to see potential pitfalls. And then, of course, I did it. And my way of feedback loop was through. Does the thing turn on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but also there's other elements, too, that I wanted to check and see about like fan speeds and and uh, temperatures. So there was a lot of stuff on top of it. But when it comes to something like uh, like the creative storytelling, for example, that is some, I would typically go off and find creative storytellers, either watch videos, watch movies, and then see how they um, how they actually do it, hear from the, the artists themselves, and then try to take some of those tactics and apply it somehow in my work. Um, a lot of times I'll just create a design session or put in together a design workshop and I'll forcefully put in a new thing that I learned into that workshop. So that way I can start to construct it. And how do I design using the creative storytelling techniques and then get feedback from yeah. it? Does this work? Can, can we, instead of doing personas, can we do, uh, use characters or think of it like characters? So I get feedback from people and then keep on applying. So everything that I usually do in that case I'm trying to add something on that I've either have started to learn I'm in the process of learning and then learn through the failures plus feedback, rely heavily on it. Yeah. So if there's smoke coming from the PC, that's feedback. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it, if it doesn't turn on at all, that's, yeah, that's feedback. feedback. <laughs> and that's failure. <laughs> right. And, and that's what I was thinking through this whole thing is just the importance of failure and knowing that if you're somebody like me who grew up with a real fixed mindset that failing is very hard, it's something that we really do not like to do. Uh, I, I, I fight against it. I, I fail to not fail a lot. And I uh, work on that almost every day of just being more open to that. But how critical that is and how often that, at least myself as a learning professional, I find myself working with sponsors and stakeholders who are trying to prevent the failure in the learning experience. Mm-hmm. And that just came up on a call this week. And I, I don't remember the exact circumstance, but I was just saying, you know, if they could try this and they could fail at it and learn from that, that would be an amazing learning experience. And the stakeholder just looked at me like I had, you know, tentacles crawling out of my ears. Like, you know, we can't mm-hmm. let them fail. I, I, I think we need to rebrand it. Oh, that's interesting. Incremental learning, right? Yeah, there you go. Trial and error, incremental yeah. learning. If, if we could, I don't know, if there's some way we could get that into our industry, we just accelerate the, our ability to learn tremendously. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to see that, Dana, because uh, recently we've been writing proposals for like uh, conference submissions, right? Conference yeah. uh, sessions. 
And one session specifically, I wrote down, like, we're going to share insights and failures. And when I wrote that, I'm thinking that's good, but I, instantly I'm thinking someone's going to probably react to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like putting down failures because it's like, dude, is that something you want to share? Actually, yes, I do. I want to share that. But again, that it's that mindset right away. I thought failures, should I be sharing the failures? I don't know. I know they're, they're important, but it also, I've been ingrained to not always want to do it that way, even though I know it's more effective. It's the big F on the report card, right? I mean, it's yeah. kind of yeah. been embedded in our heads since we were little. You don't want that. And yet we, you know, from a learning standpoint, that's one of the most effective ways we can learn. So Harrison, back to you. I mean, like if I go back to the failure part and you're, I mean, the way that you have learned, at least specifically in this skill, it's uh, decentralized. It's very much you are the, the agent of your own learning um, and you're taking in feedback. But when it comes to just in sense of, you know, your past learning career in general, how is failure typically seen among you and your peers? Uh, totally. Is it still seen as a harsh thing? Is it still seen <laughs> that something still has to relearn? Or is it, um, has it been something that, you know, you've really grown into and created kind of this environment where that's just expected? Yeah, no, I love that. I think, uh, well, for 3D in particular, right, there there are times where you can fail, like, straight up. Like, there there was a time where I was trying to, like, render something and it just, like, continually crashed because, like, you know, like, <laughs> there, I don't continue. have enough, yeah, visual yeah. memory yeah. For, for what I'm trying to do. Uh, but in a more, like, artistic sense, I think it, it's really hard. I think, like, that's one of the things I really valued about going to design school, especially, like, a design school um, like Portland State that was more, like, classically kind of focused where, um, like, you're expected to fail and you're expected to grow um, and you're expected to, like, uh, learn from your peers um, and engage with them. I think in a general way, it's really hard, especially for all art, it's really hard to define, like, what is a failure? Like, is a failure when the public doesn't like it? Is it a failure when the artist doesn't like it, right? And and there's so many examples of, of artists either who did things that, that weren't recognized at the time and, and were liked more, um, or, or artists who felt like they were um, a failure, and now we think that they're really great, like, like Van Gogh, for example. Um, so I, I think in a more applicable way, um, it's hard to know uh, when you're doing a good job. And I think especially if you're a kind of artistic person or, or really in any kind of creativity, um, there's a really strong likelihood that your taste and your ability to recognize things that you like has outpaced your skill level of, of being able to deliver them. And then you kind of get stuck in this area where um, you're able to recognize that the things you're making aren't good, but you don't have the skill level to like create the kind of things that, that you like. Um, and that's really hard and it's hard to, to work your way out of that. And I think like the only advice I have for that kind of thing is, um, to to try something new um, and to try to do something really mm -hmm. outside of, mm -hmm. of what you um, are used to. I realize, <clears throat> as you were saying that, you know, I one way that I am very different from George Lucas is 
when I finish something, I like to be done with it. I usually do not like to go back and revisit it. So, you know, <laughs> if I were George Lucas, I would have put out, you know, Star Wars in 77 and I would never have released a special edition. And I wouldn't keep tinkering it. There there would be no McClunky, guys, because I, I would want to be done with it. That's something that I always appreciated about, like, my career in coding and, and developing pr- software, right, is because once you've thoroughly tested software – it works. It's done. And, you know, of course, you could go back and optimize the code and there's probably, you know, things that you need to enhance and everything. But but like you've got a problem and you solve it and it's done. Whereas artistically, there's always that level of, of judgment and subjectivity as opposed to being objective. And uh, that is hard. It is hard to continue to learn to grow in that and to... Be okay and to let go. It. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially for artists, it's so hard. And that's like working with students. That's like one of the number one things is like, how do you know when it's done? And like the answer is like, it, it will never be done. Um, you just have to stop touching it, <laughs> which which is really difficult. Uh, but, but yeah, I think for me, it's, it's so inspirational um, artists who, or, or creatives of, of any sort who are just like prolific, like that, like to me, like Stephen King is so inspiring in that way of just like, just churning out stuff. And some of it, right, some of it is going to be great. Some of it is going to be bad. Like the more you can increase that sample size, the more good stuff that you're going to have. Um, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to let go or to be like, this is good enough, even if it's not perfect, you to just uh, stop. Well, this is great, but looking at the old clock on the studio wall, we are at time, and we want to talk a little bit more about the Galaxy's Edge field trip. So, yeah, yeah, what about it? So, so a couple of the the topic came up because I'm actually uh, I'm going to go out today with uh, two of my list, two of our listeners who also uh, work with us and are in town. So, I'm going to do a little bit of a pilot of the experience that we have design so I can give you a little preview of, of what I think you would get out of the experience and what you would learn. Uh, we're going to talk about immersion and how Disney has really raised the bar in creating an immersive experience. We're going to talk about how you can apply that to the learning experiences that you create. We're also going to talk about where uh, you know what is the right level for immersion because Disney you know, they, they kind of set a level of how immersive Galaxy's Edge is. It is not quite what everybody was expect. Well, a lot of us nerds were expecting. Uh, it's not quite that immersive. But we're going to ask the question, is that a good thing or is that a disappointing thing? And when we're creating immersive learning experiences, how deep do you actually want to take that level of immersion to make sure that the learning actually happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Hopefully those are kind of some intriguing plot lines. So the idea around this whole thing, remember, it is it is an officially unofficial trip. Uh, you will receive no professional education credits from doing this. Uh, <laughs> we are, are not going to like arrange for hotel rooms. It is not a conference, anything like that. You will have to get your own way out to Disneyland, find your own place to stay, and uh, we'll give you some more details with that. But we were just looking at the calendar. We, you know, it was going to be this weekend. Uh, we changed it because of COVID. I think we are looking at June 24th-ish. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that was a Friday. Yep. Yes, exactly. And, and Bob, we need to clarify because we do have some 
listeners who are not in the U.S. We're talking yeah. about Disneyland, California. Yes, right? yep. yes. So Anaheim, California, which is outside of Los Angeles, that's where this is going to happen. Yeah. And if they ever build a Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland Paris, then we might do a redo. Exactly. It's on the books. <laughs> it's on the books to build a Galaxy's Edge out there. It's going to probably be at least five years, but uh, we will do it again there. But yeah, this is in, in Disneyland Paris. So what I would say is, don't buy your no, tickets. No, no, no. It's Disneyland. You just said it's in Disneyland Paris. It's in Disneyland California. It's Disneyland California yes. where we're going. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what I would recommend is pencil that weekend in your in your calendar, June twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Don't buy tickets yet. You know, don't don't purchase anything that you can't get refunded in case anything goes south. But start planning for it. And as we firm it up, we'll be like, okay, yeah, this is you know, it's definitely going to be that weekend. We're all set to go. Uh, go ahead and buy your tickets. And if nothing else, it'll be fun and we get to meet in real life. So that would be awesome. Exactly. Yep. Like any good experience, uh, there will be side trips that will cost more. For example, if people want to make a lightsaber. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would recommend that, in fact. Um, we got to wrap this up, guys. Harrison, thanks so much for joining us. It was really fun. Thank yeah, you thanks, for so much for having me. It was so fun. Yeah, Anytime. Good. All right. Awesome. So uh, on behalf of Harrison and Dana and Jake, this is Bob saying we'll catch you on the next Learning Geeks podcast coming real soon. Until then, bye-bye. Thanks much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, all.